0: Hey, folks, and welcome back to The Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content director at Theopolis. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Those who come and train with us learn how to read the Bible imaginatively worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. Um, We are joined today with James B. John, Jeff Myers, and Alistair Roberts. And today we're going to begin diving into the book of James, starting in verse two. Last week, we discussed a brief theology of the person of Jacob or James. We also discussed uh, some issues surrounding the structure of the book, and then some considerations about the hearers as they would have received this book. We can see uh, in numerous places. In the letter that these Jewish Christians are in difficult circumstances, that they're going through various trials and temptations and even sins, as they are in a situation potentially where they're being persecuted and driven out by Jews who have not yet submitted to Jesus as Messiah and as Lord. And so in verse two, James, Jacob says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I think it's really uh, easy and sometimes appropriate to read these verses quickly. But in this podcast, as we read the Bible imaginatively, we want to slow down a little bit. So, what exactly does it mean to count something as joy? Is this seeking to call forth an emotion or a feeling? Uh, is this merely intellectual assent? I'm going through this hard thing, um, but I'm just going to call it joy. How do we understand uh, this call to count it all joy uh, when various trials are met?
1: I mean, something that's in mind is 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 no doubt just the idea of reckoning things a, a certain way. We're, we're familiar with this language in the Pauline epistles, aren't we? In, in light of what Paul saw of the risen Lord, he, he counted, you know, he he reckoned all things lost. So, in light of that new perspective um, on on life, everything else just took on a different uh, value, a different sense, etc. And um, I think James is is calling for just a, a similar um, reevaluation of what the believers are going through. Um, there to think and uh, of and view the world through Christian eyes in light of the glory that has been revealed in them and, and will be fully revealed in, in a day to come and then to kind of reevaluate evaluate in, in light of that. And I guess there's something very counter-cultural, I, I guess, um, about that where very often we are called to, or in, people will be encouraged to redefine um, reality almost um, in light of what they feel. People might be encouraged to have uh you know radical surgery gender reassignment and so on um in light of their feelings and the uh, call cool here is is to kind of uh redefine their feelings rather in in light of uh, a theology and in light of an eschatology and all the rest of it and um as i say that's familiar um new testament language in in light of paul but then It's a very familiar Old Testament notion as well. I've been going through the um, Psalms recently, just in my readings, and we constantly get this dialogue, uh, not constantly, but often, between David and and his soul, where he's sort of interrogating his his soul and and saying, why are you downcast? And then issuing imperatives towards his soul, um, hope um, in the Lord, and and so on. And, And I think that's kind of almost the opposite of, letting our feelings run away from yeah. us it's rather seeking to take charge over our, yeah. our feelings and to issue um commands to ourselves you know hope in the lord and, and here count it joy and so uh, i'm not saying any of that is easy when I'm, I'm, I'm saying that but i think that is probably at least in my uh, understanding the, the the key thought in mind here
2: and James's argument that this is a matter of reckoning, I think, is very much borne out by the parallel that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of the Beatitudes, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then the charge, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so it seems very much that James' argument is... One that he shares with Christ—that to count it all joy, to reckon it all joy—is to act on the basis of the objective reality that is seen by faith, um, the reality of the kingdom that gives the events of persecution a very different complexion from that which would be seen by the eyes of sight.
3: Yeah, that's good, and and to trust that there is a good end in view, um, so that they're called on to know by faith, that is trust, trusting in God, trusting in Jesus, that these trials of various kinds are going to produce something. There's There's a kind of mini eschatology here in the life of these brothers in the life of the church, is it going to produce steadfastness? And then repeated, steadfastness needs to have its full effect, and that would be maturity or, or perfection, but maturity seems to be better, come to completion so that you'll lack nothing. That, that requires, if you're going to reckon it to be true, that God, that Jesus is bringing you through this. This uh, this fiery trial for your good for maturity that that kind of set that sets up the whole letter here. There's 16 times in this letter faith is used. That's a great deal. It's kind of, kind of funny that Luther uh, rejected this book, of course, mainly because of chapter two and his misreading of chapter two. Uh, Mm -hmm. But this book is about faith. It's about trust and trusting your heavenly father. We go back to like Hebrews 12 and see this as well, is because the the Hebrew Christians a little later on also were in danger of not recognizing that the father is disciplining them for their good so they can grow up, so they can mature and this is true with this first fruits church as well these early christians uh, this is the way that god this is the path of maturation for them and so in that sense as james says they can reckon it they can be joyful about it maybe not feeling all that joyful about it but at least reckoning it it to be for their for their good for joy in the end
0: right as our brother james jordan has Often discussed this theme of you can't you can't have resurrection without death. You can't have Eve without a death-like sleep and a cutting open of Adam's side. You can't have the resurrection without the cross. You can't have new life without the old life dying. And so this is this is an important thing to know throughout the entire Bible, but you have it here as well. Um, you know, Jesus, we think about him for the joy set before him uh, endured the cross and despised the shame if you look at psalm 22 2 which what he's which is what he's quoting there and you look at the full context i mean that psalm ends with telling of god's name to the brothers and in the midst of the congregation praising him and a calling on those who fear the lord to praise him all the offspring of jacob glorifying him so as you just mentioned the future hope is what drives the joy that is to be had as various trials come upon us and come upon these, these Christians. I find it interesting in verse three that uh, he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Um, I've always tended to just jump to the testing of the faith and the steadfastness and, and moving forward. But I, I do find it interesting that he says um, that they know this. Is there something there? Where, how, would, how would these Jewish Christians have known that the testing of faith produces steadfastness?
3: Because they know the scriptures, and they and this is maybe a call to for them to recall what they know from the Hebrew scriptures, uh, or mm-hmm. as Alistair said in the last episode, they've heard Jesus teach on this subject, and Jesus' teaching is all about this, uh, especially steadfastness, which is rather interesting fascinating Mm -hmm. that steadfastness is mentioned here twice in three and four, and also is mentioned twice at the end of James, when James says in chapter five, verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And -hmm. you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose, or you've seen the Lord's end, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. There again, Job uh, Counted it all joy, and, but steadfastness there is is important. There's 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 a place also. Uh, it, well, it's with the um, parable of the soils or the parable of the sower,
1: mm-hmm.
3: where Luke where Luke records Jesus saying that um, the good soil those who who hear the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And bear fruit with steadfastness, or with patience. It's sometimes translated, but the word is is the same. And given the surrounding soils, the surrounding parable there with soils, uh, and how there uh, some of the seed is choked out, or it's scorched uh, through troubles and trials and riches and and all that. So they. They could have known this already. They've heard the parable of the sower. If we understand that Jesus went around teaching, proclaiming these things in various locations at various times, the Sermon on the Mount, the parable of the sower here and there, not just once, uh, people would have opportunity to hear these kinds of things. Um, and so they, they should know this.
2: I think there's also the fact that when you have a strong Understanding of providence and the fact that God is active in all of these seemingly adverse events and experiences. You can, with Paul and with the author of Hebrews and with um, all these various other New Testament texts, have a strong confidence that when things happen to you that seem to be um, discouraging or against you, that these are ultimately things received from God's hand, from a fatherly hand that is not in tended to destroy or crush you but with every single one of these testing experiences there is a way of escape provided there is a way in which you are being um, made more fruitful in righteousness through it and so the purpose of this is one that uh, or the sense of um, testing of faith producing steadfastness is not just this random reality in the world of hard times and difficulty naturally leading to steadfastness. It's the sense that these are events that in the providence of God have been brought into our lives for the end that we as Christians might be built up in our faith. And as we receive these events by faith and move into them in confidence in the good hand of a, far, a good fatherly hand that will not give his children a stone, but wants to give them bread, um, we will be able to take the good things from these experiences and be built up by them. And as a result, not be destroyed in the time of testing, but actually find ourselves coming through it um, purified as gold.
1: Yeah, and and just rewinding briefly to verse 2, can it all joy, uh, brothers, when you meet or or encounter trials of various kinds? I I think this is the same word used um, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the guy uh, falls among Thieves, I think King James might even translate this as, as can it joy, brethren, when you fall among trials of, of various kinds. So these aren't a product of uh, foolishness or, or sinful living. You know, these aren't things that people have set out looking for in terms of their uh, trials. They've gone their way in, in life and, and just fallen among um, these trials. And it is deliberately broad uh, in its description, trials of um various kinds and and i guess to my mind at least that's that's important to remember you know at the end of the day i can't choose what trials i am Mm -hmm. or i'm not going to undergo in life my call if you like the thing i can choose uh, by god's grace and strength is how to respond to them and and that's therefore what james um counsels you know count it um joy and 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 so forth so that's that's the decision I have, how I'm going to um, respond. But from my perspective, at least, I just fall among these things. That, that's just life.
0: I find it really encouraging that he's, he's, he's preparing them for trials that are going to come upon them. Um, now, there is encouragement for those who are in the midst of trials, of course, but it is also useful to, to meditate on the fact that we need to be ready for them to come. And so when things come into our life that are challenging, difficult, painful that bring death, even our own death, uh, that we're ready for them by being ready to say yes and thank you to the Lord for the various things that that come into our life that are extremely difficult. You were mentioning James a minute ago, the Psalms. You know, I've, I've been thinking about lately, uh, well, I've been, I'm always thinking about the Psalms, but uh, I was thinking about Psalm 88, and though I don't think it's a, an entirely hopeless Psalm as we've taught here at Theopolis before. I do think one of the biggest encouragements from it is that we are to sing that psalm with others. We are to sing that in the gathered assembly. We are, you know, it's very different um, singing the psalm by yourself, which we should be doing. That's, that's one experience. And it's another experience to be with the gathered saints singing Psalm 88 and knowing that these dark nights of the soul, these uh, difficult days and months and years of our life that many of us go through, uh, we can look around and see that uh, we are not alone, but we are one people who are gathered in Christ who has also gone before us and who has lived Psalm 88 and all of the, all of the other Psalms that speak of a lot of misery. So, God is not far away uh, from us in that He has given us songs to sing, and He has also given us letters like this to encourage us how to be ready when those things come come upon us.
3: Notice that all these verbs, uh, actually, all these pronouns here, you, uh, it's plural. Uh, it doesn't come across in English, but it's uh, y'all. Uh, so they're all together in this, or they should be together. The other thing to note here is in the end, in verse four, uh, they uh, James wants them to know that all of this is happening to them, to bring them to their proper end or to be perfect I think mature is a better way of translating that. It occurs five or six times in James. Complete, lacking nothing. Well, what that means is right now they're immature and incomplete, mm. and that God is using these trials uh, to to test their trust in Him. To, so they'll be patient, steadfast, patient, and then and then once they reach maturity, they'll. They'll be able to reign with him. Um, If Paul says to Timothy, if if we remain steadfast, same word, we will also reign with him. So these are immature, childlike believers. I mean, if this is indeed the first fruits church, if this is the uh, infant church, which has just been driven out of Jerusalem, then they have a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not ready to rule They're They need to be patient. Uh, They're going to be, they're going to be tested. They're going to be tried, but they need to recognize that this is all designed by their heavenly father in his providence. As Alistair said to bring them to a place where they can indeed be light to the world lights shining in dark places, but them being light them being rulers like Jesus they need to first be patient and Mm -hmm. suffer in order to be elevated to a place of authority and rule once they're made mature and complete.
0: Right. We have that tendency, right, to resist, to want to do something. I love that language of let it have its full effect. And it's just calling them to count it all joy in the midst of those trials. It's not telling them to, to do anything to fight back against those trials. And I find that in, in my own life, that can be a common tendency where something difficult is coming. So we got to find any way out you can, but really we need to, we need to be ready for those trials and then, uh, let them have their way with us and let faith become steadfast.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, wisdom is all about just what you said, Brian, hmm. it's not about necessarily fixing all the troubles and trouble and, uh, uh, tribulations in your life, uh, but it's about learning how to negotiate them, how to deal with them. So, verse five: If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He gives generously to all without reproach. It'll be given him. But the wisdom there is not a wisdom about how to how to defeat the enemies, the oppressors. You know what kind of tactics to use in order to trap them uh, mm-hmm. or to. Uh, uh, you know, eliminate them or neutralize them. Uh, it's more about how to accept God's discipline and negotiate it. It doesn't mean, of course that and nothing in the book of James uh, is, says you can't try to avoid these thing, these trials. Of course, mm-hmm. sometimes you do. Paul, you know escaped from a basket in Acts 9 uh, in order to get, get away. Paul, you know, there's all sorts of ways in which Jesus sometimes passes through the crowds in in some kind of strange way in order to avoid getting taken, and uh, because it's not time yet. Yet at the same time, wisdom is not necessarily the know-how to try to or or, or have the power to stop these things. Rather, it's it's the it's the ability to be steadfast and trust your heavenly father in the midst of these tribulations right and you know as christians i know
1: it's uh, obvious thing to point out but we believe in a universe where it really can be true um, that every trial has a purpose and can work for our good and while it might commonly be said you know disaster strikes and someone will say well everything happens for a reason you know uh, wh- uh-huh. why would that be true just in a in a random world you know and but we believe in a world where that really can be true so this sort of mindset that we're encouraged to have to count it all joy is not just some noble lie that it's kind of good to maintain just for the sake of our own um, morale but but really is part of that of reckoning things as as they genuinely are
2: I often think of the connection with Hebrews here and the way that Hebrews speaks about Christ as a son, learning obedience through the things that he suffered, and that is how he is made perfect. And the themes of endurance in suffering, of receiving suffering and trial and testing as sons, that God deals with us as sons when he tests us, when he disciplines us, when he corrects us, and that in these ways we are being conformed to Christ, and we are experiencing what Christ himself experienced. That expectation that we um, might get wisdom without the tough experiences that grant us the the soil within which wisdom grows, I think is one of the lessons that maybe James has to teach us here. We might think that verses 5 and following exist in a very strong detachment from the verses that precede the verses about the trials but yet wisdom as we see in hebrews and elsewhere is learned through suffering and through trial and through testing and through experience and bitterness and difficulty and opposition and as we undergo that we are made mature and perfect we are made wise we are made able to face new situations we can think about the experience of david and the way in which he was tested being persecuted and pursued by Saul. And the way that through that, he it developed a wisdom that would help him in his rule. We can see that wisdom in the Psalms, the way that he learns how to turn to the Lord in that position of trial. And through persevering and responding faithfully in trial, he is equipped to exercise wise rule as king. And in the same way, the people of God will be granted wisdom and they will receive what they seek from the Lord's hand as they petition him for wisdom. And yet that wisdom may come through the difficulty of trial and that testing over time and the opposition and the adverse experiences.
1: And that connection, Alistair, is reflected in the flow of the text, isn't it? The way in which kind of each verse seems to pick up on um, a word in the previous Verse. So the testing of your faith in verse three is to produce steadfastness. Um, and then in verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect, etc., lacking in nothing. And then at the start of verse five, and if any of you does lack um something, you know, lack wisdom, and it, it feels that that kind of flow is is designed to connect it all up. You get a few psalms uh, like that. Psalm 25 is uh, an example where sort of lines pick up on a, uh, a key word in in the previous one. And you wonder if part of it is is just to help memorization. You know, uh, there, there is just that inner um, interconnectedness of, of, of the whole flow of James's text.
3: That That's a fascinating observation, James. Uh, it goes on, too. So verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. But then verse six. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Uh, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Um, uh, that's really, that's interesting. Yeah.
2: It also goes back as well. The word greetings is picked up in the word joy in verse two.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't notice that. That's fascinating. So when, when uh, James continues in verse six, again, coming back to faith or trust, let him ask in, in faith without doubting. Uh, the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Uh, that, that's also rather fascinating because one has to trust in God who gives generously. And what would it look like to ask, but to be doubting? It seems to me that this ends up with the double-minded man unstable in all of his paths or in the ways going and the ways acting. But it seems to me like the doubting one is the one who James is going to be addressing in the entire epistle here as the one who's acting in an unwise way, and yet still uh, asking God to bless what he's doing. And what he's doing is uh, out of anger out of uh, retribution, out of zealot, out of zealous uh kind of desire for vengeance um, and that's the kind of double man that james is is talking about here, someone who um is uh friends with the world, and that's evident in the way he acts in, in chapter four. So asking in faith means trusting that God will give you what you ask for and that you're going to be steadfast and patient in these trials and not just be blown around by every uh, every possible way that you think that you're going to, to solve the problems that you're having uh, and fix the trouble.
2: And this is very clearly grounded upon the character of God himself. He gives generously to all without reproach. And that can again be seen in the teaching of our Lord in Matthew 7, 7, 11, in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And the confidence of the faith that we're called to here is the confidence in the character of God. That God is not a God who is cruel or withholding to his children, but a God who wishes for us to know the fullness of sonship and the fullness of wisdom and maturity. And so, as we experience these trials, we experience them with joy, as we know that they come from His hand. And we, in the midst of our trials, call for and pray for wisdom through them, and that we would be made more like Christ through them. And as we do that, we do so with the assurance that God has not brought these trials across our paths for no reason, or has just abandoned us to some nasty fate but rather that he has given these things in order that he might make us participants in his good gifts.
3: And banking on what you just said, Alistair, I think a lot of Christians will read this, God who gives generously to all without reproach, or they might read this to think, well, I'm going to ask God to take away my trials and he's going to do it. But that's not what James is saying. He's he's, uh, saying that they ask for wisdom in how to, to navigate these trials, that's one thing, but it doesn't mean that God is going to take everything away just because you ask. Well, God is good and He's generous, and so I'm going to ask Him to take this, uh, uh, this situation away, but He doesn't do it. Remember, Paul asked three times that the Lord would take away the thorn in the flesh. That's mm-hmm. in Second Corinthians, maybe eleven or twelve. I can't remember. Um, and Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And there's a, there is a reason why you're enduring this thorn. There's a reason why the, um, the people that James is addressing are going through these trials. And they ask for wisdom, and God will give it. But that doesn't mean that they can ask for anything uh, by faith. And if they have enough faith, then God's going to give them whatever they want. That's not what this is saying.
0: Right. James is interested in in maturity, in that progress of maturity. And, you know, that progress is, you can even see that in Genesis chapter one, uh, you, have a, you have a chaotic, watery world, and then you have the seas, and then you have the dry land appear. And that is what these Christians are. They are not to be the sea. They are not to be waves on the sea that's driven and tossed around, but they are to progress into who they really are, which is. Uh, they're built on the rock. They are firm ground. They are new creations. Uh, man, as we know, is made of dirt. But those who are in Christ are, are built upon the rock, who is steady. And so their faith and their their prayers are to reflect that.
1: Yeah, perhaps a different way of putting uh, what I think you've rightly said, Jeff, is, is um, this link between verse five and six. You know, let him ask God who gives generously and it will be given him and let him ask in in faith. We often think that we can kind of then use our um, faith in order to determine what God is is going to be willing to to give us, kind of thing. And so, if I can ask in a sufficiently faithful way, um, then that can uh, determine how God will answer um, my prayers. And I kind of wonder if rather the right way to view it is is to allow our faith to. Determine the kind of things that we can wisely ask for. You know, I I just can't really, in good faith, um, ask and pray God uh, that God will give me all sorts of incredible things tomorrow, unlimited um, abilities to do various things, and new cars and riches and and whatever. I can't ask for that genuinely in in faith because I just don't have that faith, that it's really what God has in mind for me, Um, especially given what James has just said about counting various things, joy when we fall among um, trials. And so I kind of think that the right way to put these verses together is to kind of let our faith influence what we ask um, rather than um, thinking that if we can ask with sufficient faith, um, then that will sort of, Twist God's hand. That God is this unwilling father who needs to be cajoled by our, our faith, rather than seeing Him as this God who gives without
3: reproach. You know, without needing that sort of uh, cajoling, as it were. Yeah, it's good. I I I think also that the doubting here in verse six is revealed, or a little clearer in verse seven, uh, because that the person that doubts is double-minded, and he's unstable in all of his ways. So the person who doubts is, is inconsistent in his behavior. So he asks for wisdom, but he's unwilling to endure and remain steadfast in order to receive it. So he is he's of two minds. He wants wisdom, but he wants it on his own terms. Um, so like the Proverbs of Solomon, they contain instruction for sons in the acquisition of wisdom, right? And he repeatedly warns them that they have to fear Yahweh and that they need to accept rebuke and discipline before they can hope to be wise. So only humble, faithful sons who endure trials will eventually have the honor of being judged as a wise man. Um, so I think this inconsistent behavior is what James is going to be dealing with all through the book. You know, it's the wisdom that comes from above which is peaceful. And there's a wisdom that comes from below, which is demonic, which is, which is hateful and divisive and all sorts of other things I'll say at the end of chapter three. So um, it's, I think it's important to see that this is going to be filled out by James, this double-mindedness, the way they're behaving is not consistent with them asking God for real, genuine wisdom.
1: Yeah, I wonder if there's a a link back to Psalm 12 um, here, which I've been just looking at just now, actually. It says, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. And that then seems paralleled with the next verse. Um, Everyone utters lies to his his neighbour. That's sort of parallel, with save, O Lord, the the godly one is gone. Um, And then the faithful... Have vanished is parallel with, with flattering lips and the double heart. Um, they speak that that's uh, the Hebrew is, is lev lev with with a heart and a heart. And um, I wonder if that sort of it, it seems there that therefore with a double heart or double mind is um, is parallel with the faithful having vanished. So you know the the, the opposite then of, of being faithful in in our life is is to have this. Um, this, this double heart to be shot through with this doubt that I ask and don't really have any confidence that God will will
3: answer or deliver. And the way of the heart is demonstrated in your behavior. So out of the heart flow the issues of life. It's not only, it's not merely an internal posture toward God is being questioned here uh, in the double-minded man, it, but it's also their actions. Um, And I think in the commentary somewhere, I'd say it's like a man in marriage who says he wants a good marriage and talks about wanting to know how to be a good husband. But then he spends all of his time in front of the TV or out with his friends at the bar or, you know, berating his wife. His behavior belies uh, his spoken desire to want to have a good marriage. And I think as we move on in James, you're going to see that's that's what's going on. Their behavior uh, contradicts uh, their, at least their spoken desire to have wisdom and also their claim to have faith. Chapter two, uh, if anyone says he has faith but does not work it out, that faith is not it is worthless.
2: And there also seems to be a correspondence between the character of God and the character of appropriate faith. And I think we see that very much in the great statement of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That undivided character of Christian and and righteous service and faith is something that corresponds to the pureness of God's own character. We see something of that later on in um, these verses where he um, talks about the way that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is undivided. He's not a God who is fickle and changing. He's not a God who is unreliable, whose will wavers. And on the basis of that, our faith should be equally committed, wholehearted, and something that summons up and unites all of our efforts and energies.
0: Right, and faith, faith-like wisdom is something that uh, requires time. I mean, faith, as we know, isn't just a one-time thing at the beginning of a Christian life or a one-time moment, and neither neither is the acquisition of wisdom both of these things uh take that steadfastness that we've been talking about it takes putting one foot in front of the other through these various trials and you know mature wisdom isn't something that we either have or we don't um as jeff says in his book but it's it's more of a spiritual muscle that builds over time as we put it through various trials and things that'll strengthen it which are which are trials and and sufferings mm.
1: And just to pursue this idea of kind of uh, that Jeff's raised of inconsistency between what we say and and what we do, Jesus um, in the Sermon of the Mount says the uh, light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is is single, then your whole body shall be full of light. And I I take there the eye to be sort of um, to do with our, our our view and our attitude, and our the body there to be. Our actions, and so it, it's saying, you know, if if we are uh, single-minded and, and, and fixed and not wavering in our, our view and attitude, then uh, the, the the body will follow suit. You know, the way we live will follow suit, and and so we've got that contrast, I guess, between being single, single-eyed, single-minded um, in in uh, Jesus' sermon, and and then. Being double-minded in in James, you know, the the double-minded man in kind of um, his eyes is is different from his body, um, if if you like. He he doesn't practice what he
3: preaches. One of the errors I'm trying to guard against when I'm talking about the doubting here being instability in his ways, interpreting that in light of verse 8, and he's taking the wrong paths, he's misbehaving, it's his activity, which is contradicting his, his speech, is to be careful, you know, because to ask for wisdom by faith doesn't mean that there won't be times when we struggle, when every Christian struggles to believe, to trust in God, to believe that he's good and faithful. But Rather, what it means is we're going to persevere in faith despite those feelings we're going to, we're going to uh, ask for wisdom, and we're asking for wisdom because we don't feel very wise. We don't feel like we're up to it. We don't understand what's going on. Uh, we don't get it. Back to the Psalms, when the psalmist asks God, why are you doing this? That's not necessarily a, it's not in the Psalms at all, an indication that he's doubting uh, that he's doubting God, he just doesn't understand the reason why these things are happening, and his interaction with God, asking him questions, is in fact uh, part of the evidence of his faith, just like Job. Job is clearly upset about what 's happening. He doesn't understand why it's happening, and so he's addressing God what what's going on? Why are you doing this? Of course, his friends say, well, You've sinned. You just need to confess it. I mean, it's tit for tat. That's the way God deals with people. And Job says, "No, that's not the way God deals with people." But Job, Job wrestling with God, is not an example of double-mindedness or unfaithfulness. Okay, it is normal. It is. It's what happens. Uh, What Job doesn't do is behave in a way that's inconsistent with his uh, interaction with his engagement with. Uh, his Lord. Uh, and that's what's going on with these people in the book of James. There's a, there's a huge inconsistency. They're hearers of the words, but they're not doers. They say they have faith, but they have no works. They talk a big talk, but the wisdom that they're uh, promulgating is demonic. It's earthly. It comes from below. Uh, and, and, and that's what's, that's what's going to be unpacked in the book as we move forward, I think.
2: I'll be curious to hear both of your perspectives on someone who is struggling in their faith and reads these verses. Is there a way that they can read them that does not lead to them coming away disheartened? I'm obviously doubting. I'm not able to ask in faith. And obviously, I must be unable to do this. Is this a sort of get confidence, stupid message? or is there something that the doubter or the person who's struggling in their faith but truly wants to um, have the Lord help them in their unbelief? What should they take from these verses? How should they um, take the warning here without being crushed by it?
1: Well I mean I wonder if some of that comes back to what Jeff was saying about this notion of patience or or, or perhaps endurance. Um, I mean if If we think about the um, character and and life of Job, patience there isn't just this um, kind of stoic, uh, tight-lippedness or this knowledge that everything is is fine. I'm looking here in um, uh, Job chapter 9, and uh, he says, um, It is all one with God. Therefore, I say God destroys both the blameless and the wicked alike. Um, When disaster brings sudden death, God mocks at the calamity of the innocent. So, I mean, Job is kind of making making out God to be a, a monster here, or, or, or a sadist who kind of takes um, delight and, and laughs when when the innocent suffer. You know, and, and Job is obviously, and who can blame him? You know, he he's um, uh, rocked here in in his faith, and and he can't understand what's um, going on, and, and so endurance um, for Job, as I say, isn't this kind of um, stoicness, but it is the fact that despite everything that is going on, he's not kind of looking for simple or or trite answers like his friends, or or he's not giving up um, that there are answers or walking away from his faith or or, um, cursing God and and then dying as he's encouraged to do. He is, for all of the robustness, is is still um, looking to God for um, answers and assuming that his answers can be found um, in God and is enduring. You know, he's not throwing the towel in. And I I think some encouragement then can be taken in the life of of Job in that I can hopefully, in times of of trial, um, when I can't look within my life and, and see that I'm okay with everything and and rejoicing and so on I, I can at least look within and and say to myself what well, i'm not throwing the towel in you know although i'm, I'm sad um, and and hurt by things um i am still um clinging on to god i am still pressing in with fellowship with um, attendance of at my church and and maintaining fellowship with believers and and maintaining a a prayer life and a, and a scripture life and so on. And, and I feel that therefore there can be that encouragement as I look within by seeing by God's grace signs um, of endurance in, in that proper sense um, of, of the word uh, in, endurance, still um, fighting, not throwing the towel in and, and at least being conscious of, of that much.
3: Yeah, that's helpful. Um, I I'll go back to what I said earlier, Alistair. I think someone who reads this and has a sensitive conscience and says, Well, you know, I I don't have I don't have a, a kind of strong faith. I sometimes I doubt. I, I say to him, wait a minute now, let's go and read on. Context is king here. Don't just isolate these verses and um, read into them something that James doesn't intend. This is this is written for people. Let's see how they're behaving. Let's keep reading in James. Well, how are these people behaving? What are they doing? Uh, how is this double-mindedness manifesting itself? Is this is this what you're like? You know, in in the end here in in four, he's he's going to warn these brothers who are acting inconsistently. He's going to call them adulterous people. That's that's the language of the prophets. Uh, that's the that's that's really. Uh, pretty strong language about idolatry don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with god whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god so this instability this unstableness is not just these are not just people who have internal doubts and uh question things now and then i mean again back to the psalms the psalmists do this all the time um they question God. They wonder, but but they're interacting with Him, the, uh, and so I, I say to them, are, "Are you are you like this? Are you leading a, a double life, double mindedness?" I think here is is not just inconsistent mental kind of attitudes and and ideas. It's hypocrisy. It's saying one thing and living in an entirely different way, and, and it's not just, And by that, I don't mean it's just. You know, saying you have faith and you still sin. We all sin. We confess our sins every Sunday and receive absolution. It's not just sinning, but it's high-handed rebellion that is manifest here in 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 some of these brothers that James is addressing, and that should that should help people recognize exactly what this this means for them.